We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy GMAC, Andrew Claudio here with another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on a Friday morning, kicking off your weekend. Hopefully you all have big Saturday and Sunday plans here in the tri-state area or around the world, wherever you're listening from. You might be wondering why I'm filling in for the immortal Jonathan Macri. Well... Without throwing him under the bus, because these things happen, he's balancing a lot of plates, juggling a ton of balls and and shout out Manscaped. Um, <laughs> let's just say he's away this weekend. He had a prior obligation that he did tell me about. I will give him that. I've known about this weekend being the weekend that he is unavailable, at least this Friday and Saturday, that he is unavailable for months. What we didn't factor in, or I guess what he didn't factor in, is that also included Thursday. And we scheduled a podcast with the one and only Fred Katz for, from The Athletic for Thursday night. So um, thankfully, uh, GMAC decided to step up and step in. And hopefully I did an adequate job for all of you. Uh, Fred and I talked for a little over an hour. Um, he is a Jets fan, so the New York football jets record was mentioned a couple times throughout this episode um i asked a ton of questions that i think you all would appreciate too that come from a frustrated fan base's perspective i know we're we're 
11 games into the season. Five and six isn't fully a panic mode, but as you see from the title of this episode, you can understand the frustration if this is... You know, feeling like purgatory and not a place you want to be. It's the how, uh, as Sean Hardy said uh, during the post game on 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 Wednesday slash Thursday, that it's it's not necessarily five and six that bothers you, but the how he got to five and six. So, um, Fred is awesome. Gives some insight on how they're evaluating Obi Toppin that I found great, and comments on NBA purgatory. Found a middle ground with Julius Randle, who ironically, as frustrating as it seems he's been, has actually played a lot better this year. The process is even even kind of good, if you want to say that. Um, but a lot of stuff we get into. I'll do the show announcements and and the the programming reminders at the end of the pod without further ado thank you for tuning everybody here is the one and only fred katz of the athletic joining me now here on the Knicks film school podcast that's right filling in in the big boy chair got the glasses on and everything uh you know him as the lead Knicks beat reporter for The Athletic. I know him as somebody else who texted me over the weekend, the New York Jets are six and three. Uh, the man who has been gracious enough to bless us with his presence once a month, talking about this basketball team from a much more informed perspective. The one and only Fred Katz. How you doing today, sir? I'm better than Macri, man. That dude's <laughs> got to get a hold of his schedule. This is just going to be an hour straight of just taking a dump on Jonathan Macri. On That's Jonathan all this Macri. is going to be. Well, I, I, I hope he listens then to the hour yeah, straight yeah, going, of us going, taking a dump going on him. full name. We're going to call him Jonathan just so the dump can hit every syllable of his <laughs> name for scheduling a podcast and then being like, I have to go away. Well, another the best part if we could go fully behind the scenes is we rescheduled you twice. So you were like gonna be last week, then you were gonna be Tuesday, then you because you're you're the best, you moved to Thursday, and then John yesterday. Shoot, I have a wedding and I have to drive up there for four hours, so I can't. It wasn't even like could we do it earlier? It's like I can't do it. So um, hopefully I can I can fill his shoes at his shoes adequately. And then and then he has the the gall. To say that Julius Randle plays disorganized. Uh. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. When Julius Randle says, I'm doing media after the game, you know when he shows up? After the game. After the game. Wow. Look at you. Could take one out of his book. Wow. The, the self-awareness just is not is not there, apparently, no, for one gone. Jonathan, Jonathan Macri. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm taking a coup over this podcast right now. Oh, I'm just no. Gonna, like, this is, Macri has nothing now. So it's going to be the Fred Katz pod when this is done or with special yes. guest Fred Katz. Cause I, I heard that you are not allowed to technically host our podcast. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. I'm, I'm coming on. We're going to do manscaped ads <laughs> and we're just going to talk about how the previous host of this podcast just was not organized enough to withstand the lifestyle. Just couldn't well, deal with it. Yeah. Sorry. John and was too you, passionate. Do you hear about that guy, Macri? I heard he lost his mind. He's living in the woods somewhere, screaming about Tom Thibodeau's strong side pressure defense. It's crazy. <laughs> Full Dexter mode. For the beard, he's a lumberjack and everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, cho he's chopping down trees and yelling about, nobody appreciated quickly as a help defender. It's, it's, <laughs> it was like, never Tom Thibodeau's fault, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really, that guy's nuts. Well, so I'm good that I'm glad you brought some levity to uh, this conversation and this podcast because this fan base 
when it, it seems like this is going to be a trend throughout the year that if they win, like they did against Minnesota, everybody's like, could this be a three seed and, and overreacting to the highs. And then, I mean, this wasn't even a low. This is everybody shot poorly. Julius played uh, his stats ended up looking nice, even if um, it didn't necessarily generate to his other teams playing well. Um, a lot of the commentary around the fan base, at least, Fred, is that this is what purgatory looks like. That you're going to have some ups, you're going to have some downs, you'll be good enough to be in the play-in and no higher to make any type of run in the playoffs that you can feel good about, about and no worse, that you can make your odds look better for what is supposed to be a generational draft. Uh, in your estimation, do you think this is real NBA purgatory for the Knicks? So I will answer with an anecdote Okay, that at the start of the season, so I do the Athletic NBA show we record every Monday, mm-hmm. tamp- tampering podcasts with me and Sam Amick and Anthony Slater. And at the beginning of the year, we did a season preview with 12 pressing questions, and they were kind of all out there questions as a way for us to discuss different things we found interesting around the league. One of the questions was, if you had to bet your life on one team to be in the play-in tournament meaning it won't be in the top six in its conference and it won't be in the bottom five. It has to finish between seven and 10 and be playing in the play-in tournament. You have to bet your life that one team is there. What team are you picking? And I think based on the lead into this question, you can guess which team I bet my life on. And, okay. and, and by the way, betting your life on the Knicks never works out well. <laughs> there are a lot of cemeteries filled with people who bet their lives on the Knicks. Uh, but but betting on them to be in the play-in tournament, I felt pretty good about that. I just I I felt like they were too deep to, I mean, you know, barring something catastrophic, which could happen to anybody. Uh, and they didn't really have guys with with a serious history of injuries, except for obviously Derek Rose. Uh Barring barring something catastrophic, I felt like they were too deep to where one or two injuries would just annihilate them because there's just not that much of a difference between I felt like their best player and their second best player, their second best player and their third best player and so on and so forth. Uh, they had a pretty consistent talent level across the roster. They have like 12 guys who you could throw in an NBA rotation. You're like, okay, I'm good with that guy being in an NBA rotation. And they just don't really have top, top, tippy top of the line talent. Uh, and I just felt like their their range on the low end was like 36 wins if everything goes wrong, again, barring injuries. And on the high end, I just didn't really see them winning more than like 44. And I was like, if, if you're in that range, you're probably somewhere between seven and 10. So if we consider seven and 10 NBA purgatory, then sure. What, what I will say is uh, I think this is where the front office wanted to be right. Mm -hmm. Like their, their plan is they're not going to tank. They are going to compile young players and draft picks, try to trade for a star and be somewhat competitive enough. So the players around the league don't look at the Knicks as Oh, same old Knicks. Nobody wants to go there. And if they win, you know, 41 games, then maybe somebody will want to go there. And, and, and so it's, it's purgatory in that they're in the middle, but it's not purgatory. Like, all those years when the the Bucks kept trying for the eight seed, or the Wizards when I covered them kept trying for the eight seed, like it's 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 a it's a planned purgatory. A planned like that was purgatory. The plan. Interesting. It's funny you you br- you brought up an anecdote from from Tampering Pod. Um, I went on 
Dan Favalli over at Bleach Report. Um, I went on his preseason pod that's here with Blue Wire, and he had me preview the Knicks, and I was a little more optimistic, um, just in the sense that I thought that like a 37 win team adding Jalen Brunson would fix a lot of their issues. And to an extent it has, like you look at the shot chart and you look at some of the other numbers, it, there is an uptick throughout the team. Um, if he, he asked me what would be one thing that worries me and about the Knicks. And it's like that they're going to be, try very hard to be very average, you know, that there's, there's no pivot to Wimbanyama. There's no pivot even with it, I don't see a star becoming available that raises their ceiling significantly more. I don't think a coaching change obviously would range would would, would do anything like that. So, it, if if this was my worry that through five and six it's coming true, you almost empathize with all the fans that aren't necessarily frustrated with five and six, but the how of five and six that there's not even like a could the team progress with other players um, that were with other players getting more playing time and becoming part of a solution here long-term. So I guess based off of what you're saying and like what we've all kind of seen over the first 11 games, do you see for like what change could you foresee happening? Would it be like a trade potentially? Do you think they make a panic trade? Maybe, but Maybe? I, I don't, I don't know. I think it's too early to tell, to be honest. I did a mailbag earlier this week and there are a lot of questions I left on the table because I wanted to think about them some more and I wanted to maybe ask some people around the league or the team or whatever before I answered some of them. And some of them were trade related stuff. And and, and the thing I keep coming back to, I'm like, it's too early. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how ownership, for example, is going to be feeling about the front office two months from now, you know, mm. depending on how this team progresses. I, I think they'll be somewhere right around where they are. Like, They've generally won the games they're supposed to win, mm. lost the games that they should lose. And that's pretty much been what it's going to be. Uh, and if that's what ends up happening, I think they're probably fine. Uh, but it's it's kind of hard to say. You don't know how the situation with Randall is going to progress. Although I've just never heard of any traction on a Julius Randall trade. And, and, and I've... I've I've heard of scenarios in which Julius Randle's name has been mentioned in trade talks over the summer, especially, and I've just never heard traction. I, I've never spoken to a team that has been at all enthusiastic about the prospects of acquiring him. And and the Knicks, when they've put guys out there on the block, have have basically said like they play hardball mm -hmm. with those guys. You know, like they've made Evan Fournier available, right? But they, I, I don't know how their philosophy has changed with Fournier not in the starting lineup. So this, you know, information is dated back to like the summer. So, you know, over the summer, what they were saying was, okay, if you want to have Fournier, or even at the trade deadline, what they're saying is you want to have Fournier, he costs it for a second round pick. And nobody wanted to trade a second round pick for Evan Fournier. So the, the question is, is if you say Evan Fournier is available, but he's only available for an asking price that doesn't exist how available is available. And now we can get all philosophical. And those are the types of questions that have driven Macri mad. And it's why he's in the woods screaming <laughs> about Cam Reddish's pull up mid range shots. Yes. It's, yes. <laughs> it's, it drives people mad. And so, yeah. and so I, I don't, I don't know what approach the front office is going to take. Uh, I do think the trade for, they have been patient for the most part. 
is what I'll say. Look, they Lord knows you can't knock them for their patience on the Donovan Mitchell stuff. You can agree with their process on Donovan Mitchell. You can agree with the final de- or disagree or agree with the final decision. I think there are reasonable opinions on both sides. I don't blame them for not trading for Mitchell at all. I've said that time and time again, but you can't knock their patience. They've been patient. So their history says they're not going to make a panic trade. Um, and the type of trade they want to make for like a star or something like that, those tend to happen for the most part in the off season. So I guess now that I'm talking it out, I would lean no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just a little hard to say for absolute certain at, at this point with where they're at. Yeah. It's, it, it's funny. The, you obviously are a big baseball fan. I, I, used to watch baseball and then years ago I just I stopped watching and haven't paid attention to the sport for years. Um the what's going on with the Mets, by the who? way? Are you are you aware of the, the Mets? Who? The New York Mets. I the Jets are six and three. Um <laughs> <laughs> um in baseball throughout your 162 game season, you'll have a night where just like everything went wrong, right? Like you'll lose 11 2. You're out, you're everybody turns the game off by five, but by the fifth inning, and you're just like, all right, it's one of those nights. Like you take them, they happen. And that's how I, what I put the New Jersey, New Jersey, wow, Freudian slip, the Brooklyn game at. And like RJ said as much after the game. And yet, because if you were to liken it to baseball, if it would, it would be like if you had a frustrating starting rotation one year and you came back the next year with the same starting rotation. And so the process being the same leading to these nights where, yeah, you just throw it out, but it's like, this is still frustrating. It's why I think the fan base wants some type of change. I want to go back to one thing that you said just now about ownership, that I think ownership would be the only thing that would force a panic trade. Have you gotten anything? Like Dolan's been quiet and it's like what we want, you know, but like, have you heard anything from on top about his satisfaction level with just being like as mid as humanly possible? No, I okay. haven't. Uh, which might tell you something. It either tells you that nobody's in trouble or that I'm not good enough at my job. No, and no, those, no. Are, those are the only <laughs> those are the only two things okay. that I could possibly like, tell you. anywhere else. Uh, so or, no, you no, know. I haven't I haven't really heard any rumbles. You know, there are people who speculate on it, but it's just like uh, hey, you know, if this happens, you think Thibodeau could be in trouble. Hey, if this happens, you think Leon could be in trouble. I do think the assumption is that if there's a fall guy, Tibbs is the fall guy before Leon's the fall guy, because that's the way it tends to go, the coach or the or the or the you know, before the president. But like I mean, Leon was pretty firmly in Tibbs's corner, and uh, I I don't think that's like changing as mu- as quickly as the public seems to think that mm-hmm. it can change. Like that's a relationship that goes back really far. They have a million different decision makers in that organization too, and that's something to where it could change too. You mentioned ownership, but they have so many voices in their front office. I mean, it's Leon Rose at president, but like. You know, I wrote before, or maybe no, it was like right when the Donovan Mitchell stuff started. I wrote like Leon doesn't negotiate most of their trades. Like mm. Brock Aller, who's their basically their cap guy, he's going to negotiate a bunch of trades. Uh, Frank Zanin will make some calls. Assistant GM Scott Perry will make some calls. He's the GM. Uh, we found out, you know, Gerson Rosas was was instrumental into the the Donovan Mitchell negotiations, but so was Brock Aller. He was on the phone mm. with Utah as well. And that was kind of how it started off. So like 
There are a lot of people there. Walt Perrin is obviously extremely important in the draft process. And then you have World Wide West, who's just like, you know, got his fingerprints on on the World Wide West type stuff and just basically everything back there. And then there's also Leon. So they have so many voices in their front office that it it kind of depends also on who's listening to whom at any given time. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's something where where I always wonder when you have that many people who are involved in the decision-making process. There's just such a fine line between deliberation and chaos. And I just don't know where the Knicks fall. If, 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 if Leon Rose ever did an interview, then I would ask him that question. Problem mm-hmm. is I have a year and a half's worth of questions to ask him. So I don't know if I would get to process related ones, it's, uh, it's, but it's funny. I was watching the, the, the president speak the other night and he just like sat there and it's like, all right, I'm going to call on this person. You ask as many questions as you want. This person asks as many questions as you want. It's like, wow, the Knicks would never do this. You know, that's <laughs> my only reaction to this press conference is that the president is more accessible than the president. Of the president of the United States is more accessible than the president of the New York Knicks. Um, Look, I I appreciate you, Fred, for this is more the gossipy part of the pod and obviously more of a, a venting session on behalf of the fan base. Um, I know you want to talk some X's and O's and some of the numbers on what this team has done so far. You're like, I, honestly, I just want to shit talk Macri. Okay. I'll That's give, all I want to do. Well, he listen, he could have defended himself, but he's not here because the time management is apparently a thing that he does not have. Just taking a giant axe yes. to a tree stump. And just being like, Jericho Sims is messing up the spacing in the first unit. I really hope that the lumberjack is the only characteristic he and and like trait that he shares with Dexter. That there isn't yeah. more to that we're speculating. Um, so uh, let's start with Emmanuel quickly because you have something coming out on him um, tomorrow soon. Yeah, I, I I haven't finished it yet. We're recording this on Thursday night. It'll. I anticipate it'll go up at some point on Friday. So we had one of our, I mean, the numbers are, are blatant to everybody. We had people in our super chats last night um, talking about how he's just a Frank Nilakina with confidence. And I, at a certain point, it was like, whoa, can we not overreact to 11 games? But when you add in Derek Rose's decreased role, which I do want to ask you about in a little bit, and you add in that quickly does go through these shooting slumps a bunch. He does have a lot of high highs and, you know, the last, what, 20 or so games of last season, it really did show that that was something sustainable. Do you get this sense that he's pressing in your interaction with him or that this slump has bothered him? Or is this just like something he's going to unfortunately go through as a, as an NBA player? Just, this is like who he is as a player. So, you ask if it bothers him, you're going to have to deal with me clicking on my computer right now because I'm going to yeah, call up ahead. this interaction. I had this interaction with him in the locker room at Barclays last night. Okay. So I asked him, I said to him, you're in a little bit of a shooting funk to start the season. And I said shooting funk. I said, because if you ever say slump too quickly, he corrects you. Uh, he says he doesn't funk. like using slump. Okay. Well, he just doesn't like using slump. He'll just okay. be like, it's not a slump. It's not a slump. You just shoot right out of a slump. So I just say funk so I can avoid the semantics. <laughs> okay. Because it's a, it's a, you know, athletes are, are fascinating people with how like one thing that I think about all the time is like when you, when you talk to guys who you play, like who you cover, they might not be thinking about a thing. And when you, and like 
Coaches might strategically might even not be telling them that because they don't want them thinking too much. And then I, the jackass that I am, walk up to them and the locker room before the game and like even with quickly before the season now i'm like hey do you know that you shot better on on pull-ups than you did on catch and shoots last year and he actually did know that oh, okay. uh, but i'm like them as i'm talking to him about it, i'm like i wonder if like i'm unintentionally getting in his head right now and now he's gonna like not shoot so maybe maybe i'm the one who ruined quickly but i i went up to him last night we were you know a number of reporters approached and and i asked him to start off i I just said you're you're in a kind of a shooting funk to start the season. Same thing happened last year at the beginning of the year. Is there anything that you can take when you busted out of that? You you got really hot. Is there anything that you learned from that experience that you can apply to this? And he just I really think like sometimes athletes just like are so afraid of being vulnerable that they they just will not let themselves be that. I mm-hmm. really truly based on his character and and based on interactions I've had with him. And just based on his reaction in the moment, I do not think this is what happened. But he said to me, I didn't even know I was in a shooting funk and then genuinely asked me, am I? And (laughs) (laughs) and 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 I said, I said, well, I said something like, uh, well, you know, the percentages say that you definitely are. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I've been having amnesia. And I I mean, good on him for having that kind of amnesia, but that's fascinating. Yeah. And so, no, it doesn't seem to be bothering him. If if it is, he's got me fooled. Um, I don't think he gets fooled by that stuff. He actually ended up giving a pretty good answer after that, too, where he said that um, he he's he's spoken to veterans who are really good shooters and they tell him uh, confidence is not results based. And I like that. That's I, I'm fascinated by the psyche of, you know, these like high powered, you know, unbelievably successful athletes because they're all so competitive. And the way that you drive through missing so many shots is by genuinely believing that confidence is not results based, which to me is like wild my confidence is completely results based uh and uh so no i i don't think it's bothering him but from the basketball perspective it's there's just got to be some way to even him out and, and obviously part of his inconsistency has to do with his shot selection he takes really hard shots and guys who take really difficult shots are often inconsistent night to night or maybe five game stretch to five game stretch like that's the reason why I personally have always viewed him as kind of an instant offense sort of guy off the bench, as opposed to a guy you plug into your starting unit. And it's because when you have that kind of shot selection, when you rely on so much off the dribble stuff, and especially when you're playing against good defenses, things can get tougher for you quickly, or if the shot goes, you're in trouble. And I, I still don't think, even though he's taking advances with that sort of point guard genie sort of stuff, running pick and rolls, all that, certainly better than he was as a rookie. I don't think he's all the way there, and he still has too many moments where the ball sticks to him to really rely on his passing when the shot isn't working. So I just think there's a little bit more... Uh, just in terms of him as a scorer, I think there's a little bit more of a Jamal Crawford sort of gene in him, a Jordan uh, a, a Jordan Clarkson sort of gene in him than um, maybe anybody else. Um, and, and so 
it might just be who he is, where he's going to get really, really hot and really, really cold. And you just kind of have to live through that. But I will say, in Quickly's defense, I think he's much better defensively. I think he's a legitimately good defender now, and he wasn't as a rookie. And I will give him credit. Tibbs talks all the time about when you can't have your offense dictate your defense. His offense doesn't dictate his defense. Like he he plays like really good off all defense. He's doing this weird thing where he's helping from the strong side more this year, and I can't figure out why, and Tibbs won't tell me. But he's he's a uh, I think he's I think he's been Really solid there at the very least. But yeah, the efficiency numbers are way down. It's lowest effective field goal percentage on the team, which, listen, you, you're right in that it's good that he didn't know this, whether he genuinely meant that or not. It's good that for an athlete to have short memories and not carry that those type of performance numbers with them. I also think what's good is and this is a good transition into Derrick Rose. I think he's going to get a shot to as much as possible to shoot out of it. You know, like I don't sense that this could mean any type of demotion in role or um, um, spot on the team or trust with Tibbs that he's going to be allowed to just regress back to his career numbers um, throughout the season because Derrick Rose is only averaging 12.7 minutes per game this season. And he spoke to you guys today and said, just kind of, I'm accepting the role that I got and I have no idea what the demotion is about. Uh, has I, I don't know if I missed it or not, but did Tibbs mention anything about Derrick no. Rose's demotion? No. So no. Did, this, did this catch all of you off guard the way it has us? <laughs> Totally. I, okay. I mean, I thought he was going to be playing 20 to 24 minutes. I kind of thought that's what we'd see out of Rose. Have you seen anything in Derrick Rose personally, um, both on the court and your interactions with him that would indicate that he's off a little bit, that he's still like getting some rust off, that there is a, a downtick in his quality of play? What are you seeing? He's had some moments around the rim where I'm like, Derrick Rose makes that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Derek Rose figures that out. Yeah. And and I, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he, he was very proud about coming in uh, to this season. He's lost, you know, however many pounds he was the skinniest he's been in years. And mm -hmm. he was very proud of, of how he kind of reworked his body after all the injuries. I, I, I think he's still getting it back. I do. I mean, that's my personal opinion. He says he's not. And Tib says he isn't. I think he is. Uh, I, I one thing I'm gonna look into. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into how many of his jumpers have been short. Mm. It just, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be just throwing this out there on a podcast when I'm not sure if this is right. It might be total bullshit. Sometimes I think I'm seeing something and I look into it and I watch all the jumpers and it turns out, nope, total BS. I'm just completely off. But I'm going to look into how many of his jump shots have been short. Feels like the misses are short, and 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 by the way, he's shooting the ball fine from three. He's like thirty seven percent, but I I it, it sure feels like the jumpers are short. Sometimes that could be an indicator of just a guy not having his legs. Uh, I remember when I was covering the Wizards, I did a similar exercise with Davis Bertans when he came into the year. Uh, he was he well he in particular was out of shape because he just didn't work out all off season, and 
I, I looked at how many, what percentage of his misses were short compared to the previous year. And they kept saying, nope, he's back in shape. The Wizards kept saying he's back in shape. He kept <laughs> saying he's back in shape and feels great. And I look at his misses and he was missing from short literally twice as much. And I go to the Wizards. I'm like, he's missing from short twice as much. You're sure he's in shape? And they're like, well, he's still got some way to go. And oh. I'm like, okay, so, <laughs> so there we go. It's it's it can be a good indicator. So that's something I I, I wanna I wanna look at because it feels like that's the case. And by the way, I'm not uh indicating that Rose is out of shape. I think he's in really good shape. It's just like dude's recovered from 900 serious injuries and he's in his mid-30s. And um I don't have a problem. With him playing 13 minutes, by the way, for all these years, people are like, hey, Tibbs, manage Derrick Rose's minutes. Just do it. Well, he's doing it. Ironically, the any worry that some people might have had before the season that a healthy Derrick Rose, Jalen Brunson's addition, it was going to take away from Quickly's minutes. Quickly's averaging 21 a game. I, I think if he was shooting better, he'd be closing a lot of games. Um, the Cam Reddish rolled and what Cam has been defensively, I think is has recalibrated some things so far this season. Um, but yeah, I I ask about the the demotion and roll in minutes for, for Derek Rose. I I don't have much of a issue or question about the quality of his play. I think he's working his way back. When he's been right, he's had like those a few I, I'm I'm pulling this out of like a out of thin air, but I know there's been like a really productive four minutes where he's just been like, oh, 11 points in four minutes. Oh, that's Derek Rose. Oh, you he's know? had some moments where he's looked awesome. Yes. It just hasn't been consistent. Like last year when he came out and after the trade a couple of years ago, it was mm -hmm. like every freaking time Derek Rose stepped on the floor, you knew Knicks were going to win those minutes. They were just going to win those minutes. Every freaking time he was going to push the pace and even maybe they weren't, I take it back. Maybe they weren't necessarily going to win those minutes every time, but you knew they were going to dictate the pace of the game yeah, every single the, time, especially that first season where he got traded here and he missed a totally. month for, from COVID. And that was like one of their most struggling months when it came to offense. Then he came back and two games later, started a nine game winning streak. And as everybody knows, the, 16 and four stretch to end the season. So yeah, for sure. And then last year for those 26 games, I mean, that he played, he was, he was great last year. Yeah. Like, he was awesome. And, and so for me, it's, you're right. He's had some games where he's gone off and been amazing for like a six minute spurt or whatever. But uh, it's, it's, it's the inconsistency, like, you know, the Philadelphia game where it comes out and has four very uncharacteristic, very un Derek Rose turnovers where mm -hmm. you don't see him controlling that pace. You know, you almost feel him succumbing to the pace. Uh, and, and that to me is just like, you know, everyone has a bad night, but just when it's Derek Rose, it's jarring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, listen, I had speculated that the few and fewer, fewer minutes he plays, maybe he's headed for, toward like a Taj Gibson role. Like we all were wondering what happens when Grimes comes back, who, gets out of the rotation and maybe we were speculating Fournier, speculating. I'm not willing to go there yet. I'm not either. I just was wondering because if the, just the, because the, he's the like this now, minutes not, he went, you know? Yeah, no, I'm not just cause he's like this now. I'm not convinced this is just like what he is now moving forward. 
I'm not convinced of that. I mean, he's coming back from a serious injury. It's totally possible he's just getting his legs back, getting his footing back, realizing how to play now on this surgically repaired ankle. And then, you know, 10 games from now or 15 games from now, he's got something going. It's not like he's been like, you know, dreadful or anything. He's had some great moments. He just hasn't looked like, I mean, last year when he got hurt, I wrote a story that said without any concessions that he was their most important player. Uh, and and I believe that just as much now as I did that. And I don't regret that take at all. He was their most important player last year when he got hurt. And he's not their most important player right now. I mean, you you, you brought it up. The fact that he's playing on the, the ankle and the fact that he's playing after, like you said, like maybe his ninth or 10th surgery in his career. He's also the the weight loss. He's got a new body. He's got to get used to, you know. So there, there's gonna be an adjustment period. Thankfully, he's on a team in NBA purgatory, so he has all the time he needs to go ahead and 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 figure out what that that new version of Derrick Rose looks like. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about WinBet, the official sports book of Nick's Film School. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. 
Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, the WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet 100, win 100. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. That's wynnbet.com to start winning. Download, bet, win. It's that simple. I mentioned Cam Reddish. I mentioned Quentin Grimes. Um, and obviously, Evan Fournier. Uh, there's been... Those are the three people who have started at the two. Although, yeah, Grimes has started at the two this season. Uh, do you... Well, let me ask you. Who do you think will start the most games at the other wing next to RJ Barrett this season? Of the three. It's a fun question. I think it'll be Grimes. Okay. I think Could eventually it be as it'll soon be as Friday. Could it be as soon as when people are hearing this tonight? It could. Okay. To quote Tibbs. <laughs> it could. could. <laughs> so you're going to give me a Tibbs answer. You're not going to actually answer the question, but kind of answer the question. Why? No, with no. Your I answer. mean, it's yeah. like, I mean, like it, it wouldn't, I don't know what Tibbs is going to do. Like Tibbs, the reason, the reason I say to quote Tibbs is because so, so the home coach, the, the, the coach does a press conference, either an hour 45 or an hour and a half before every game. And every game we sit there and we say, same starters or some variation of that. And he says, could be. Could be. Jesus. So, <laughs> and that's his way of, of saying, I'm not telling you, but yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Cam Reddish starting at the two again? Could be. Maybe. Last night I yeah. asked him, last night I asked him who's starting at the five and he said he could. And I was like, that doesn't, <laughs> I responded, who could? And he just started maniacally laughing. Like he was Macri in the woods. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's not helpful. Uh, and then it turned out it was Jericho Sims. Uh, so, so I don't know. He won't even tell me an hour and a half before the game who's starting, let alone the day before. But my guess is that by the end of the year, I think the organization has a lot invested in Quentin Grimes and has a lot of belief in Quentin Grimes. And I think an early season foot injury is not going to determine like that, that, that doesn't deter their long-term outlook on Grimes. They still think the same of Grimes as, as they did before, you know, Grimes said today, surgery was never considered. He said, um, he said that it's not a plantar fasciitis. He said it was, you know, basically a mess up and a bruise. Uh, so, hmm. so, you know, if that's, if that's really the case, then, you know, I, I don't see why they should come off of that long-term outlook from Grimes, which is dude is going to shoot 40 ish, close to 40 from three play really good defense, be your best point of attack defender. And I think from a style standpoint, he's the the best fit with, you know, this version of the starters too, you know, as long as he can play the way that we all know he's capable of. So I, I, I mean, do you, do you think anybody other than Grimes? I think Grimes. I would say Grimes, the cam thing was fun to theorize about for a little bit that if you get that player with that offensive ceiling to play this kind of defense, maybe him next to RJ in the starting five is your best, best option. Um, I don't want to overreact to one game, so I'm not going to. Um, but 
like it was concerning him going over seven last night in Brooklyn, but I have like a five to honestly an eleven a ten game sample size before that of him showing a different version of himself on the defensive end that will let you kind of forgive some of his offensive lapses. And I I would actually be curious if they explored that a little more. The bigger question for me is does Cam's uptick in play and Grimes and as you mentioned, the front office's commitment to him long term, what does that mean for the man that still has two and a half years left on his con or one and a half, you know, two and a half years. Well, we're still like 80% left of this season. So 2.8 years left on his $78 million contract, Fred. Well, he's got, he's got the team option last year. So yeah, one plus. So it's, so it's a 1.8 plus one years, including this one. Yes. We'll go. We'll do that. There you go. What happens with Fournier is the biggest question. You said that he's, he could be had for a second round pick and that's not available. So are we, do you foresee potential DNPs for Fournier in the future? I think it's hard not to. Okay. Well, right? I, Isn't I, it? I think, I think they'd be better. That, that's not like a knock on Fournier, but if Cam can shoot, then that f- fills in for the version that, that they need of a guy that can shoot, which is what Fournier is here for. And then you look at all the impact stats and where Fournier ranks on all of those, especially defensively. I think just it'd be better long term. If I think the thing I the situation I likened it to the other day was Austin Rivers when he came here was a veteran leader was meant to be part of the solution. Then his number slipped. He clearly wasn't what they wanted him to be when he got here. And then they traded for Derrick Rose. And while people thought that meant quickly's minutes would go down, Austin Rivers numbers disappeared completely. So I wonder if we're headed the same way with Fournier. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, there are two differences. Mm -hmm. Difference number one is that Evan Fournier has a lot more money Money, left on his contract. Difference number two, Evan Fournier has an extra year left on his contract. Um, And I will also say- The Austin Rivers deal wasn't a three-year deal. It wasn't like- It was like a weird year where each year had an option, you know? Yeah, each year had an option though. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I will say, Evan Fournier is a better player than mm-hmm. Austin Rivers. I mean, this has not been the same Evan Fournier that came out last year. Mm. It just it just hasn't. He hasn't been the same guy. I mean, for all the flack that Fournier took last year, he was really one of the best shooters in the NBA, like legitimately. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He made the fourth most threes in the league. He shot a great percentage. He was really good, like as a as an off-ball movement guy running around screens. He's he's really clever, like finding space within an offense. And you need that because the Knicks offense doesn't have a ton of space. And you have a guy running around a screen who you know is a shooter, you can just send multiple defenders at him if you're really worried, and you might be fine. And it's hard to be able to play that role. And I actually thought Fournier played a really good job in it. His step back is really good. He's lethal from the corner. Like it's really good. And then this year he just, he hasn't had that verve. Uh, I did think he was actually much better in the Brooklyn game, even though he shot two for seven. Especially that third quarter. Yeah. Especially that third third quarter. quarter, Yeah. Defensively in the third, he was actually good. Like he made a really good play on Durant when Durant tried to take him off the dribble and he just bodied him and he had a good follow that up with another good defensive possession on, on, on the final, on the, on the next play. And 
you know, you're not leaving Fournier in there for his defense, but organizations tend to give guys benefits of the doubt on their contracts. Uh, so that's why I'm like, not all the way there, but like Fournier has not been the guy he was last year. Reddish has, aside from a few poor performances, I think at least shown them enough to where they have to see what they have. You know, if, if Reddish had been more bad than good, they might be saying, you know what, after last year and after what was in Atlanta, it's just not worth it. But I think he's shown enough. He's had enough good moments and the good has outweighed the bad enough that they just, they have to see what's real and what's not. And, you know, Grimes is their guy. That's their guy. He's going to play. And I don't, I don't, I think quickly is still going to be in that 20 minute range. And you got Rose that needs minutes and Barrett needs minutes on the wing and Brunson's going to play starters minutes. And it's like, someone's got to sit. So I do kind of think it might be Fournier, but you know, with the way that he's played this year, like it's almost like he, he doesn't look confident. And I just wonder if moving him to the end of the bench, if, if they worry about sacrificing that, but at the same time, you just, you got to play the guys who you think give you the best chance. And that might not be Fournier right now. Do you think it has anything to do with him playing throughout the summer in, in Euroball? Like, does probably that not? Make, he, probably not. He always plays. He probably always plays over the summer, and he's not old enough to where I think his like body's breaking down. Like, I don't think he looks different physically. I more mean like, well, if he doesn't look different physically, then that answers the question. I just more meant like they were the in the finals, you know, like so yeah. playing that level competitively into like two weeks before training camp, you know, or I guess a week yeah. before training camp. I mean, he said he, he's played over the summer every year since 2016. So right. it's a lot. And, and look, that those are extra miles and they add up. But, you know, he also barely has any playoff miles on him, too. That so, is also true. <laughs> That's right. He's only made the playoffs a few times. That's right. Yeah. If the Knicks went in, I don't think he's. Won a playoff series, right? I don't think he has. Not with so, Bo- uh, Boston. No, no they lost in the series. first round. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. He's only 29 years old. I mean, he's got a good work ethic. I, I don't, he's not the type who would show up out of shape or anything mm-hmm. like that. And he, he is the type who, if something were bothering him, he would try to fight through it. He's definitely that type. But I just don't see any indication of that. I just think it's basketball is a mental game. It is so much of it has to do with circumstance and your emotional situation, you know? Well, someone whose motor we never have to worry about as I start to transition, I have two more before I let you go, um, is Obi Toppin, uh, who I am already preparing to buy a Macri um, when he gets back from the jungle, um, a cocktail of his choice because he's going to an hour bet. Uh, you still have some breathing room. Um, your your bet with John was, what, 20 minutes a game for the season? I think it might have been 20 and a half. 20 and a half. Okay. So if right Which now he's averaging 17 and a half. a half because per game stats are with decimals. So we didn't need to do a half, but I'll take it because I had the under. Oh, so if he averages 20.5, 20.4 points per, uh, minutes per game this season, then John will take what I give him for his drink and buy your drink instead. Um, I think the only reason we're seeing OB Randall minutes are because of circumstance, because of opportunity, because Mitchell Robinson got hurt. Is that a fair 
Is that a fair guess? So, hey, a fair hypothesis. Do you think we would have seen Obi Randall tried out as much as we have if it wasn't for Mitchell Robinson's injury? Yes, that's a fair guess. Okay. So then my next question, do you think the way it's worked, and like Brooklyn game aside, it's worked literally every other time that they've gone through it. Even the Boston, I think it was like plus two, but it was like, it still was a more up style offense, even if Boston was making every three-pointer. Um, do you think that he rides it out and goes with it? I know he gives up a little bit of rim protection, but the offensive uptick seems there. Um, do you think he goes to this a lot, even when Mitch comes back? I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no freaking idea. Just no idea. I don't know. I don't know. They look good. They do. But I don't know. Tibbs, Tibbs, you know, wants a rim protector out there most of the time. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe he sees matchups where he feels like he can use it now when he didn't feel like he could use it and he feels like it could work. You know, maybe other teams go small. He feels more inclined to using it now now that he's seen it be good against teams going small against him. Maybe he still says, no, I want a rim protector out there and. Mitchell Robinson's a really good rim protector, so he is going to play. And Hartenstein is is good guarding in the paint, so he's going to stay. And that's what we're going to do. And I don't know. But I will say, I will add a, a tad of analysis that I asked Tibbs today, do you think Obi's 40.3 point shooting is real? And he did not hesitate and said, yes, totally. And said that they were track, you know, they track every shot in practice and said that for the past year, they'd been tracking Obi and Obi in practice had been shooting the percentages of what a really good shooter should be shooting. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't translating to games. So Tibbs said like we were waiting on that to translate to games. So he said he thinks the 40% three point shooting is real. And if he really believes the 40% three point shooting is real and he's not just trying to, you know, maybe he's just trying to keep his confidence up in his player. You know, it's possible that he would just not want to answer that and say, say no, uh, because that would be, <laughs> it'd be very newsworthy. If you said guys. no, I will say that <laughs> if you got to yeah, know so how to tips in that answer, that'd yeah, be interesting. But he you didn't know? have to be as detailed in his answer as he was, yeah. you know, he could have just been like, yeah, Obi works hard. He's worked really hard to get here. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he was, he was, he actually backed up his point with evidence and talked about the way they track. And you know, when Tibbs talks about private information that they track in practice, you know that he is he is being legit because Tibbs does not talk crap about practice. That's like if he's if he is so secretive about what they do in practice mm -hmm. that like if he's giving you any nuggets out of that, like it's he must really believe there's something to it. You know what I mean? Uh, so. So I think he probably was, you know, part of my job is being a BS detector, but I, I, I lean towards not BS on that one. And if that's the case, maybe he does use it a little more, but like, I don't know if that's something that we're going to see against specific matchups. If we're just going to see it for like, you know, last year we saw it for 101 minutes. I don't know if we're just going to see it for like 102 minutes <laughs> or if we're going to see it for for twice as much or if we're going to see it for three minutes every half or if we're going to see it, 
you know, when they're when they're down eight with seven minutes to go and they need an offensive spark for a comeback. And so it's kind of their all offense lineup. Like, I don't know. I don't. I honestly just. Just no freaking idea. So as far as Obi is concerned, though, have in your interactions with him, is he does he seem satisfied with? I don't want to say satisfied with role because that's just like I doubt he's actually going to be that open about his frustrations or if he was that open about his frustrations, we would have heard something by now. But like last year, he was like regulated to the corner mostly and opportunistic with his cutting when he could be. Does he seem this year just different in any way about a new role that he's taken on a lot more responsibility, both defensively, but very specifically on the offensive end where he's taking like five threes a game at this point. Well, let's, let's judge him on his actions instead mm. of his words. Okay. Right. Uh, he is taking, let's call this up. I got his page called up right now. He is taking eight threes per 36 minutes, 8.4. Yeah. Shooting 40% from three. He's taking 8.4 threes per 36 minutes. That sounds enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. That's a change. Uh, guys are starting to guard him on the three-point line, by the way, which means that opponents believe it's real, which is another reason why I think Tibbs might be being truthful because opponents aren't trying to not hurt Obi Toppin's feelings. They've been <laughs> trying to hurt Obi Toppin's feelings on his jumper for a long time. They didn't all of a sudden become really nice. Uh, so, so his habits have changed. Uh, I think one thing that the shooting opens up is I think it makes his dribble handoff game much better. Yes. Uh, I think it makes it different too. Uh, one thing that I'm totally going to write about at some point this season is Obi Toppin fake dribble handoffs and seeing if they can somehow, if they are going to play him around like other shooters and stuff, if they can somehow try to implement like the Bam out of bio playbook for uh, Obi Toppin or parts okay. of the Bam out of bio playbook. He had a magnificent fake DHO against Boston on the right wing where he faked the dribble handoff, tucked it in and went straight to the rim and got a layoff out of it. Like, I mean, he's, you know, running play action and it was against the defensive player of the year, Marcus smart. And he totally dig smart. Uh, it's a really tough play to guard when you have a guy who's hyper athletic can shoot. And most importantly, and this is the most important thing on those sorts of fake dribble handoff plays is an incredibly quick decision maker. And I think that's always been the thing with him, right? Like he is just snappy. He is going to make good decisions, but he's also going to make them real quickly. And those sorts of plays, I I just see him. It opens up other things that he's able to do like that fake DHO, which he just looked freaking seamless doing against a defense that has struggled this year, but still against Marcus smart, you know? Uh, and, And so yeah, I mean, I see his actions are different. I just think he's a better player than he was at this point last year. And he's, I mean, again, I think it's from circumstance that you open this with, with that being the reason. He is getting more minutes. He's getting an opportunity. And, you know, I'm very curious to see what happens when Mitchell Robinson comes back. Um, now, I've asked you, about just about everything. The only thing I didn't mention was Jericho Sims starting, which is confusing to me, but it also, like, 
I think Tibbs is just giving it a look. Like he said as much. Just like he's you just mentioned what he what he says about practice and that anecdote about. I think you're right, but I'm not really a fan of it. Um, it, the numbers aren't either. He, they're, they're really bad when Jericho Sims is on the floor, especially with the starting five, you know? Yeah. It, you can't have a starter with such a low usage rate. Yeah. Just can't. You know, the difference between him and Mitchell Robinson is is neither of them can shoot, mm-hmm. but Mitchell Robinson literally does shoot. And like Jericho Sims, I believe, had the lowest usage rate in the NBA last year. Of anyone who played as many minutes as him, which wasn't very many minutes, was like hundreds of players played as many minutes and he was dead last in usage rate. Like when you have that, a guy like there out that who, who, who is just not going to be a threat. You know, Mm -hmm. he had an offensive board with a wide open dunk yesterday against Brooklyn, for example, and just passed it back out. Like when you have a guy out there who's just not going to put up shots, like you can't have a guy out there with a 6% usage rate. You got to be over 10 if you're going to be a starter. You you got to. And I just think it it cramps already with those with that group of guys when you add a rim diving center. And then when it's a rim diving center who just is not going to shoot the ball, I think it's it's tough. Tibbs said he likes his passing in the first unit. He says he's a much better passer than people have seen. We've seen moments of that. We've seen flashes, but not enough to convince me that he's a better option than Isaiah Hartenstein, who is an excellent passer. But that at least is me... If I am if I am going to share some of the frustrations of our, our fan base of the, the listening audience, that's at least me pushing back with like Tibbs is trying something like I respect him for being mm-hmm. like there's something going on in practice that's happening. Let me see if it translates into the game, which I think is all anybody ever wanted, that there's a different look. Evan Fournier hasn't started in four games after a year and a half, a year and four, a year and nine games, a year and five games. I got that right eventually of uh Saying we're in seven games, but a year, you know. the Atlanta game was game seven, it wasn't five, it was games. You are right, you're year in seven games, you're correct. Regardless, he's trying new stuff, like Cam being given a bigger role, the Obi Randall minutes together. The one thing, and it's how we'll wrap up this pod, that we have not seen a change in. And it's wait, it, can I just can I just interrupt? Oh, go ahead. Tibbs never likes to throw his players under the bus publicly. Okay. It's like so rare. And when he does it, it's like, it's like really, really veiled. And I assume he does it accidentally. Uh, So one reason why he could be doing it, Tibbs does look into the lineup data. Have you seen what the lineup data is with Hartenstein, Randall, Brunson, and Barrett out there, no matter who's playing the two? Isn't it like any true center that they have is like bad minutes right now? Well, so when when it's when it's Randall Barrett Brunson with Hartenstein, I think they played 90 minutes together, mm-hmm. which is not a ton. But I wonder if this factors into Jericho Sims being in the starting lineup. They're scoring 124 points per 100 possessions, which is insane, like would be the best offense of all time, right? Like mm-hmm. by far are the best offense of all time and they're giving up 127 yeah so being outscored still yeah they're just getting annihilated like they're a minus but in a ridiculous way like a preposterous way like like record-breaking all-time unbelievable blow it away offense and the worst freaking defense you've ever seen in your entire life if you've been watching nba since 1947 so i just i think it's it's it wouldn't surprise me if that factored into some of it too, with why we see Sims out there before Hartenstein gets another shot. Yeah, he's giving again. He's giving it a look because he is smarter than some 
that some of the fan base gives him credit for. The thing that I don't think anyone's ever going to get their wish that has complained about Julius Randle, which is I went 55 minutes without bugging you with a Julius Randle question because I just don't know what else there is to make. He's his counting stats are actually fine. He's got he leads the team other than Mitchell Robinson in effective field goal percentage. He's number one in usage too. Like he's having a, he's having a better season this year than last year. His three point shot. Has, I mean, it's it's really from the last three games, but he's up to thirty five and a half per game. So you can say he has technically played better, especially the shot chart, which shows it's threes and he's in the paint. And yet you go to all the advanced analytics, you go to all the impact stats, and he's one of the worst players in the NBA. And I don't know how fair that is because a lot of players are off to slow starts on the Knicks. So for him to have to carry that kind of load is almost necessary. Um, but I mean, what what sense do you get from from Randall that he's taking? Does it seem like he's trying to take on too much? of the load so far this season. And I just, does that ever change that Julius Randle isn't one of the major focal points of this offense? I do think he's been better than he was last year. Me too. Like I, I, I think we can talk about a middle ground here. Mm-hmm. Like he hasn't been close to most improved all NBA Julius Randle. I also don't think he's been close to what he was last year. I mean, last year he just like wasn't, Look, he still has moments where he's not going to run back in transition, right? Still has moments where he's going to turn it over and not run it back or complain to a ref or whatever. But it's not like literally every single mm-hmm. time. Like that was literally every single time last year. Uh, so uh, so I think it's – I actually think he's been much better than he was last year. I think it's funny that he was – I'm going to defend Julius Randle for a quick second ah, before we hear it. get into a part where I'll mostly agree with you. But one thing I will say – the greatest knock on Julius Randle last year was, oh, the shot selection, oh, the process, oh, the inefficiency. By the way, I was totally on that train, mm-hmm. but he's got a 53% effective field goal percentage right now, and he's shooting 36 from three, and you just said it. The mid-range shot selection is way down, and then you look at the um, second spectrum data. Seconds per touch is way down. Dribbles per touch is way down. And you watch the games and their crunch time offense isn't Julius Randle running a brush screen in a pick and roll and then getting the ball on the left nail and then facing up some dude for seven seconds and then dribbling 14 times and then shooting a step back jumper with three seconds left in the shot clock. Like it's, it's not that. His offensive process has been much better. He's running more in transition on offense. Uh, his... Um, Offensive process has been much better, in my opinion, and in all the numbers opinion, his offensive execution has been much better. And I think anyone who's watched him would say that as well. Some of that we can pin on shooting variance, right? Where he just, he made eight threes a couple games ago, and then he shot four for eight against Brooklyn. And he's probably more of a 32% three-point shooter than he is 36, but whatever. Mm -hmm. I still think the point stands. To me, the greatest issue with Randall is... Even more than transition defense right now is defense in the half court. Yeah. I think that's what is hurting them the most. And I think that's what is being reflected in a lot of these all-encompassing analytics like Raptor, which is just killing him. Yeah, it is. Uh, I wrote a story earlier this week about the Knicks' biggest problem defensively. They they were, at the time, I, don't, I haven't checked if they're still there, but at the time, they were giving up more threes than any other team and more made threes than any other th- team. 
And their biggest problem defensively that was leading to that was that their screen defense has just been bad. They're just not good guarding picks. Their communication isn't there. They have one guy thinking they're switching and another guy thinking they're hedging and, you know, or, or, or they just, they, they, they don't execute on a slip because they get fooled by the timing or, or, or whatever. A lot of the time, Randall is the culprit and we're seeing good teams attack him in the pick and roll. They've, they've noticed it. It's not a secret. And when you have a weak link who's getting attacked and he's not doing that much to change it, he has so many times where he's just not. Like, I don't really know what coverage he's executing. You know, I don't, I don't know if he messed up the coverage. I don't know if he thinks he's in the right place. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's supposed to switch and didn't, or if somebody else switched and he didn't, but I do know that he's not supposed to be there. Cause he's just not like, he's like always in, not always, he's often in no man's land in those situations. And it, it hurts them, particularly when there's a pick, especially when it's one of those plays where there are stagger screens or it's a Spain pick and roll and you got two picks you have to deal with. And then it's like, oh man, now that requires a lot of communication, right? Now you're really hung up and they just don't have that. So, uh, you know, I wrote in that Boston game, Boston took, you know, made 27 threes and they took 51, which is a ton. And they, 17 of their three point attempts came after uh, actions in which Randall had to guard a pick and they made 10 of those shots. Uh, and that's not an advanced stat. That was from me watching all 51 threes and counting how many screens Randall guarded throughout the game and, and, and figuring that out. Uh, but it was, I mean, that was like an unimpressive performance from him. And there just needs to be more of a same pagedness on that screen defense which is so unbelievably important. It's so niche, but it's so important. And it makes or breaks a defense, screen defense. And I, I think right now their biggest culprit is, is Randall. And th- that's what I would say is my biggest criticism of Randall and, and, and the thing that I would want to see him change the most. Uh, yeah. So two things. First of all, the Knicks do allow the most three-point Corners allowed, uh, a taken, I should say, per game. Uh, they are second most in three pointers made against. Uh, first is the team that the Knicks just made 19 threes against, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who in the pregame show we declared were the Western Conference uh, alter ego of the New York Knicks, especially when you factor no, in. They're, 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 they have no alter ego. Their vibes. Oh, they were bad. I just mean their vibes. Oh, their the vibes. Wolves yeah. vibes are so bad. Look, oh my goodness. I, so d- shout out to Dexter Henry from SNY. It's one thing to be in no man's land. It's another thing to be in no man's land and have none of your assets left, like have no pivot as a result. And like Anthony Edwards, better than any player, player on the Knicks. Carl Anthony Towns, better than any player on the Knicks. And they don't really have. They they went all in on Rudy Gobert, rebuilt the Jazz. It seems like with one trade, and I, I I'm kind of there with you. The the vibes are not great over there. They they're probably they'd be the de- next team I'd declare for a coaching change. But that's 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 a Minnesota podcast. They could handle that. Um, Randall has taken 13 shots outside the paint this year. So I will agree with you on the process. And for the first couple, 13 ga- twos outside the paint. That's that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The mid range, yeah. like everything. That's nothing. Eleven yeah. games. That's one a game. I All mean, of his shots are threes are in the paint. It's thirteen that aren't. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's very little. And the Knicks, by the way, I mean, you talked at the beginning of the podcast about Jalen Brunson influencing the shot selection and their shot selection generally changing. Like 3% of their shots are long twos right now. Second mm-hmm. lowest percentage in the NBA. Which, yeah. Their shot profile is, it's solid. They just need to freaking make them. And they need to get to the line more. That I think, that I think as we wrap up is the biggest frustration with anybody that has with Randall. Now he does have some maddening possessions. Don't get me wrong. But especially when you watch Kevin Durant, I'm not, this isn't like the Knicks should have got Kevin Durant. It's literally just like, Oh, look what they have compared to what we have. And that's the frustration that Knicks fans are voicing. Then the same thing happens with Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum and Giannis and so on and so forth. And it's why I'm my, my big takeaway from last night was there there might be a bit of a a buckle up message for for Knicks fans because they're gonna they're not gonna be bad enough to be toward the bottom as we talked about NBA purgatory and they're not gonna be good enough that it's gonna be that high and hopefully this season is just a season of vegetables that you gotta eat you know season of vegetables yeah I like that. Eat your vegetables so that way you can hopefully get a star in the offseason. I don't know. I don't know if that guy's going to make himself available. Yeah. Exactly. This yeah. is the Brussels sprout year. Remember when Knicks. Brussels sprouts used to be used to be thought of as the nasty thing and now they're like trendy? Are they? I see. I don't need Brussels sprouts. So I, I feel like Brussels sprouts are trendy. I feel like you see Brussels sprouts. I get burnt Brussels sprouts everywhere. Used to be the gross. I don't want my Brussels sprouts. More of a, a green beans kind of guy. My fiance makes really, really good roasted green beans with like a casserole in there too. Yeah. She's she's awesome. Um, <laughs> have, so are you, Fred Katz. Not in the same way. I'm just going to throw that out there now. Thank you as always for coming on. Um, we really do appreciate your insight. Um, I don't, I'm not just saying that. I actually really do appreciate uh, someone from the beat with your schedule making the time for us every month. If you would be so kind, please remind anybody where they can find you and what you've got coming out pretty soon. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can read my stuff over at The Athletic. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at Fred Katz, assuming Twitter still exists by the time this podcast posts. <laughs> uh, we can, uh, <laughs> you can, uh, I've, I've got that quickly story I mentioned coming out probably okay. sometime tomorrow. It's just kind of me, me musing about the, the art of confidence and, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talked about here and uh, not not a great plug for reading the story. I, I already talked about the whole story and uh, <laughs> no need to read. No need no, to don't read. read don't, it. Don't, don't worry about it. Just you listen nah, to it here. That's OK. You yeah. listen to the whole thing. You basically listen to the audio version of the story. Nah, check no, out. Check out Fred Katz's no stuff at, at The Athletic. It's it's well worth your your money and as well as your attention. Uh, last two rapid fire questions before I let you go. What team is Aaron? Judge, what team is Aaron Judge signed with? when we record with you next? Oh, well, I have to say the Yankees. Okay. Because if he doesn't sign with the Yankees, I will be out there waiting for Macri to hack me <laughs> and I will not be in a, in a position to podcast because my head will be decapitated and it will be a gory scene. And I'll, oh, I don't even want to think about it. It'd just be terrible. Random follow-up question. Do you watch horror movies at all? Do you watch any movies? Do you have time to? I get too scared. I can't watch uh, okay. horror. Okay. There's a movie called Terrifier 2 that is out right now that 
It has a lot of the gore that you just suggested would exist in a Jonathan Macri. Not for me. Lumberjack not for me. Seat. Okay, so not. I no, already no know Macri. I don't for... need to see it, man. I see there what he's doing go. in his spare time and <laughs> scary stuff. Last scary question. stuff from the most disorganized podcaster on on the internet in and in the world, not just the internet, the world. Clearly, that's you know? true. Um, Universe. Who knows who's podcasting that's true. on like Mars? Listen, I just got back from a Marvel movie, the metaverse even. You know, you never know what other universe what what uh uh variant Jonathan Ma- there's a, probably like another multiverse where John's like super organized and doesn't need a calendar or anything like that. But he's a much and he's a much better podcaster. Obviously. Well, cuz he's so organized. Oh, uh, only yeah. way to go. Only he way. showed up to this podcast. <laughs> and it was and it was great. So there's another variant <laughs> version of this pod where you sat where variant Fred sat down with a Jonathan Macker that was organized and able to sit down for this. Yes. Talk. And we Got sat it. down and we had a, had a, had a normal conversation in that opposite universe about how uh, Julius Randall is going to bring a ring to New York. <laughs> supportive, supportive of Julius Randall. Jonathan Macri exists in a different Dr. Strange universe. Got totally, it. Totally. I mean, there's every, there's every version of Macri out there. So I guess anything's possible. Last question. You revealed to me privately and I've revealed it publicly. You are a Jets fan. What will the Jets record be the next time we talk? Well, they're six and three. They are six and well, three. Six and three. Indeed they are. So next time we talk is six weeks from now. Yeah. Let's just say it's six weeks from now. I'll, g- I'll give it five more games. I'm going to buy this week. What will their, what their record be in the next five games? Six and eight. <laughs> Brad, what the <laughs> hell? All right. The Fred's been ba- banished this, to the shadow realm. This is what you get from being a Jets fan for yes. this long. I don't believe anything. <laughs> I don't believe a thing. None of it's real. Mm-mm. I don't believe any of it. I don't even believe there is another universe where the Jets have two Super Bowls. <laughs> I don't. That's the one exception to the multiverse rule. Mm-hmm. There isn't all, one in all the super, only, in all the multiverses. He, yeah, they're, they're there are bad. only gotcha. other universes where Joe Namath was too drunk for Super Bowl three and they <laughs> lost. That's that's the only other type of Jets universe there is. They don't even have that one. So across the multiverse, the Jets are still bad. So this this one we're in where they're six and three, which is why, and you confirmed this when we were talking. This is why we celebrate six and three the way we are exactly because we don't know how long this is going to last. I will no, say no, we know exactly how long it's going to last. They're on a buy. Uh-huh. So it's going to last two weeks. I and I will, and it'll be a great, a great two weeks. Here is optimism, Claudio speaking. They will be nine. And Sauce fi- Gardner's freaking. He's fun, outstanding. Man. Best cover corner oh. in football, but potentially like one of the best draft picks the Jets have ever made. Um, they'll oh, they'll be nine awesome. and five, nine and five. When we if we talk in five weeks, I'll just say I'll just say that they will go three and two in their next five games, and then maybe we're, we're we'll have you on again right after they've won a playoff game too. Well, I'll be thrilled. Yes, me too. Fred Katz, thank you as always, sir. Thanks for having me. Once again, big thank you to Fred Katz for coming on today's pod. Check out all of his work at The Athletic. Tune in tonight, pre and post of the Knicks game against the Pistons. I'll be hosting the pregame show presented by WinBet. Then the postgame show, I'm on hosting duty. So hopefully in the middle is a Knicks victory as they play take on the the. The Detroit Pistons, who are who should not beat the Knicks in the Garden. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. The Pistons are not good enough, although 
as it does look like Alec Burks is going to play tonight. So this will be a, a revenge game of sorts, but hopefully it doesn't matter too much. Regardless, thank you for tuning in, everybody. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I'll be back later tonight. Hopefully all of you tune in. And until next time, thank you for listening, and we'll speak with you soon. Peace. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.